we're continuing in our series uh, today called Nuts and Bolts. We've been in this series now for a few weeks. And uh, what we're doing is we're just kind of looking at uh, some of those essential elements of a Christian life that we would say is effective, that it doesn't just survive, right? It doesn't just tread water. But it's that Christian life that hits the bullseye of what God wants, and it's that kind of a Christian life that... that uh, that, that hits not just the mark, but that we can say it's effective. That we look back at our lives and say, my walk with God was an effective walk. That's what we're looking at in this series. What are the nuts and bolts that have to be in place for that kind of a life to be lived out? Well, today we're adding to the mix. We've looked at about five or so different elements of an effective Christian life. You can find those messages on our website if you like. Today we're going to add to it looking at a message that deals with the topic of faith as one of those essential nuts and bolts to an effective Christian life, you got to have faith. Here's the thing. Faith, obviously, just by the, by the sheer nature of it, creates a crossroads experience in our life. Seemingly every place where we have to demonstrate faith, it is a crossroads in life. I remember when I was a kid, and I was probably eight or nine years old, and uh, God had just been moving in my life, and my mom was the primary spiritual influencer in my life at that time, uh, more so than my dad. And, and I, I just remember she'd pour into me, and she would teach me Bible stories. We weren't always in church every single Sunday. We kind of had these rhythms of when we were in church, and then we'd be out of church, and, and, uh, and, and just, just like most everybody else probably in a lot of stages in their life. And I remember as a little kid, eight, nine years old, I, uh, I desired to give my life to Christ, and I prayed, and the best that I could as a little kid, I, I trusted Jesus, I placed my faith in Christ, and, uh, and through the years, really, after that, I'd go through these cycles of just questioning whether or not I was truly saved, whether or not I was truly in a relationship with God, and I remember it was later in my walk with God that God just really solidified that, that I had, had come to Him in childlike faith, the way the Bible says, but I remember thinking as a little kid, <laughs> literally thinking, man, I wish I could just get a letter from heaven that was postmarked like heaven, and I would open it up and it would say, Brooks, I heard your prayer, chill out, right? And, and that, you know, that, that I, would, I would have that kind of assurance. And, and again, later, as I matured in my faith, I understood a little more uh, of where our salvation rests, right? that it, it is secure in Christ, and uh, we do come to him in childlike trust and faith. But it was that moment where I just, I wanted to know for sure. And what I've learned in my Christian walk is that more often than not, that element of faith is always going to need to be present. That yes, we can have assurance from God's word, and yes, we trust everything that's in here. But when it comes to living out his word on a daily basis in our lives, there almost always is going to be that the presence and the necessity for faith in our walks with him. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning. For you, that may play out a little bit differently this morning. Uh, for you, maybe you're needing to have faith in the midst of a difficult circumstance today. Maybe for you, you're having to trust God in regards to something he said in his word, but it just seems very unclear right now. He's made promises to you, but it seems like those promises aren't coming true and you're having to walk by faith. For others of you, you may face a big decision in your life and, and you're at that crossroads where you've got to make a choice and you've been seeking the heart of God and you've been going through his word and you've been talking with other close uh, uh, walking believers and, and you've been getting godly counsel, but there's a point where you've just got to trust that this is where God's leading and I'm going to follow him at that crossroads of your life. And faith plays out for every single one of us in this room. Every one of us have to walk ultimately by faith and it is an absolute necessity. It is part of the nuts and bolts of a relationship with God. Now, here's one of the misconceptions of faith. For a lot of people, I'm afraid, they think that faith is something that is a stationary part of our walk with God. 
that, that there's really not much action that happens in faith. In, in other words, like you may ask somebody, hey, how are things going? And they'll say, well, I'm just, I'm just praying and waiting. I'm just trying to have faith. And it's this picture that faith is just sort of this, this, uh, this rest spot in our Christian walks that where we're waiting on God or we're praying about things, but there's really no activity. Here's what I've learned. You can, you can jot this down. I'm going to give you a few principles this morning in this particular message. But the first thing I've learned is that faith is a response. Faith is active. Faith is a verb. Faith is an action word. And yes, there are times where we are waiting on God, and it feels like we're in neutral, and it feels like we've sort of uh, pulled off into one of those little rest areas on the highway of our Christian walk. Yet, uh, yes, there are times where we're praying for things, and we're, we're kind of waiting for God to put everything into place. Those times definitely come in the Christian life, but faith is anything but passive. Faith is always active. It is, it is a response. Always it's a response. And when you look through Scripture, here's the thing about faith, that when you read some of the heroes of the faith throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, their faith was always a response to what God has already said. You know, there's this strain of misunderstanding as it relates to, to faith today, especially in our culture, where a lot of people mistakenly believe that if I just have faith, then God's got to do whatever I'm believing in. And maybe you fall and pray to that at times, and you, sometimes you hear it often in the, uh, in the realm of, um, of illness or health issues, and you may ask somebody, hey, how are you feeling? How are things going? What's the doctor said? And, and the response is, well, I'm just trusting God and believing that I'm healed. Well, we do need to trust God, and often He does heal, thankfully. Praise God that he, that he still continues to heal. But oftentimes it can be dangerous territory because we can slip into this mindset that says, you know what, as long as I believe, and if I believe hard enough, and if I believe with enough intensity, then God is obligated to do for me whatever it I'm believing in. That, that is a whole strain. <laughs> if, you, if you turn on late-night Christian television, I would be surprised if you didn't hear some of that, right? That if I just believe hard enough, then God, as a result of me holding him hostage to my belief, he's got to respond. That's not what faith is. Faith starts with the promises of God. Faith starts with God's word. Faith starts with the direction that God gives us. And when we come to his word and he speaks to our life, or whenever we feel as we're praying, the Holy Spirit is speaking deeply into our lives, and when it doesn't contradict his word, when God gives us direction, when he gives us input, when he shows us a promise, or when he speaks to us in his word, that's where faith gets operated. That's where it gets, gets enacted, and we begin to march out based on what he's already shown us. Faith is always a response. You think back in the Old Testament, in the days of Noah, God came to Noah and he said, Noah, I want you to build a boat. And, and there's never been rain on the earth up to this point in history. And God says, I'm going to send rain on the earth. There's going to be a flood that's going to cover the, the whole earth. And I want you to build a boat. And it was in response to God's word that Noah ultimately stepped out and obeyed. Noah didn't wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm believing that I'm going to build a boat. And this boat is going to be of such significance, I'm going to make my way into a big old book called the Bible one day, and people are going to be talking about me for centuries, and I'm believing God for this. He didn't, it didn't start with Noah. It started with God, and God came and he said, Noah, do this, and Noah believed and he trusted. And imagine the mockery. Imagine the mockery that Noah endured. And people are saying, what are you talking about? Rain? What is rain? You're building this big old boat. There's going to be a flood. I mean, are you kidding me? I didn't notice this, but I was reading in this passage uh, earlier this past week or so, and uh, I didn't realize this, but Noah went onto the ark for a full week before the rain ever started. What do you think he heard from people outside on dry ground? 
there, you big idiot. <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. Stuff you say at your, the team you hate the most, right? They were saying to Noah, he had faith, and it didn't start with him. It started with God's direction. Moses, same way. God comes to Moses, Exodus 3, in a burning bush, and he speaks to Moses, says, Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground, and I've got a plan for you, and you're going to lead my people out of slavery and into the promise, or, or, or out of uh, slavery and into freedom. And, and Noah had to overcome all kinds of uncertainty and all kinds of insecurities, and he had to decide at that crossroads, am I going to take God at his word, and am I going to follow him, or am I not? And Moses took God at his word, and he followed God, and he, and he implemented faith that started with the word of God. You look at the people of, of, uh, of Israel, and, and, uh, and how when they came into, uh, into the wilderness, and God, or, or when they were in Egypt, rather, before they went to the wilderness, wilderness, God said, put over the doorpost of your houses the blood of an unblemished lamb. It would be called the Passover, and they had to trust God. They took God at his word, that God said, if you do this, then I'm going to spare your life. I'm going to pass over you, and I'm going to strike the Egyptians. And they had faith. They trusted him. They believed in him. It was a response. It was active. This wasn't passive. And they did what God said, and God ultimately spared their lives. Jesus would come along in the New Testament. He would come up to 12 different disciples, and he would point them out by name. He would come to them, and he would handpick them and say, follow me. And those 12 guys dropped everything they were doing, and they dropped their livelihood, and they dropped their vocation, and they dropped their passions, and they dropped their desires, and they died to themselves, and they, by faith, followed where Jesus led them. And it was a response. Faith is always, ultimately, a response. And here's the thing, God, I believe, will either create or allow circumstances in your life and in my life that require us to walk by faith. That requires it. We're going to see why here in just a few minutes. Faith is a response. Second thing about faith is that faith is also a prerequisite. A prerequisite. It just dawned on me, I alliterated right there, right? Oh, no, I didn't. If it was a, re a requisite, I guess it would have been alliteration. It's a, I lost most of y'all on that one, I guess. My bad. Let's, let's rewind. Faith is a prerequisite. I'm going to do what I did in the first service. Say that with me. Prerequisite. It's a hard word to say. You remember what it is maybe from your college days. You go to college. Ladies, you'd see that guy in that class you wanted to get to know. So you'd register for that class. Guys, you'd see that girl in that class you wanted to get to know. So you'd try to register for that class. And you'd find out, you know what, I can't take that class because there is another class required first. It is a prerequisite. You can't take Spanish 201 until you take Spanish what? 101. To take Spanish 201, there is a prerequisite called Spanish 101. It had to be in place. You had to have that first class, that prerequisite, taken before you can move on to the next thing. Now, now here's the way all of this plays out. When we look at the topic of faith, what we find out is that faith is a prerequisite for at least two things that we desperately need. And the scripture makes it very clear that unless faith is present, these two things are not going to happen. In other words, these two things we're about to look at make it very clear that when we think of the nuts and bolts of the effective Christian life, faith has to be there because of what we're about to look at, what these two things are that faith is a prerequisite for. And the first is this, that you will not know God at all without the presence of faith. 
When we think about having a relationship with God, no matter how hard we work, no matter how often we go to church, no matter how many good deeds we do, no matter how much money we put in the plate, no matter how many uh, folks that are in need we, we sacrifice for so that we can try to help them, no matter how much of all that stuff we do, if we don't have faith placed ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ, then we're not going to have a relationship with God. No way, no how. And the Bible makes it very clear that that, that is an absolute necessity. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I want you to see what Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 6 when he helps us to understand. We're going to partner this passage with another passage and see how faith is a prerequisite to even knowing God in the first place. So Paul writes and he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, verse 9. Let me just pause there. Paul is writing to a church in the midst of a godless culture, and there's all kind of stuff going on in this culture that is just not good. And sin at seemingly every level, they're even creative probably in the way they design new ways to sin against God. And so this church is filled with people that came to Christ, but they're still planted right in the middle of this culture. And what God says is, or what Paul says, he says, do you not know, Christians, he says in the church in Corinth, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, there's a principle there that we have to do business with. And again, it has everything to do with our standing before God who is holy. Again, it doesn't matter what good we do. It doesn't matter if we teach a Sunday school class or grow group. It doesn't matter if we stand up on a platform and preach. I don't get extra credit with God just because I, uh, I, I teach his word on a, on a weekly basis. That doesn't really matter in regards to my standing before God. And the reason for that is because all of us have sin in our lives. And what Paul does is he reminds us that because of the presence of sin, we are unrighteous in the sight of a God who's holy and perfect. He goes on to name some of this in the Corinthian context. He says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I believe there is a certain reason Paul identified those specific things there in this context in the letter to the church in Corinth. All of these perhaps had a special significance that would have uh, kind of rung true uh, for the people of Corinth. Regardless, they're still just as true for us in our culture as they were for the, in, in, the, in the Corinthian culture. Every single one of us would have to look at that list. Maybe this is part of the design and say, you know what? At least one or two of those apply for every single one of us in here. For some, it may be more. For some, there may be a lot of other different ones that we could add to that list of areas of unrighteousness in our lives that we could say, you know, hey, Paul, you left out a few. Let me add a few more. <laughs> but the key is here that all of us have evidence that we have unrighteousness in our lives, that we need forgiveness. We need a Savior, every single one of us. Here's what Paul does next. It's amazing. After having implicated every single one of us on this planet with the truth that we are unrighteous before a God who's holy, Paul then talks about the present in the lives of these Corinthians. And look at what he says. This is beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture. He says, such were some of you. He's like, you know who you were. You know the things that you did. You know where you used to go, and you know how you used to live your life in unrighteousness against God. But then he says, but you were washed you were sanctified. You were justified, he says, in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. He says, that's who you were. 
But you're not that person anymore. You've had identity change. God has changed your standing before him. He has changed your identity. You used to be all that. Those aren't the tags applied to your life anymore. You have new names. You have new tags. One of those is that you've been sanctified. You have been made holy in the sight of, of, of God who is perfect. One is, another is that you've been justified. You've been declared not guilty. The God of the universe looks at you with all the stain, and he looks at me, and he says, you know what? I choose to declare you not guilty. I change your status. You are not the person you used to be. How does that happen? Because we come to him through the person of Jesus Christ. You link this up with what Paul says in another letter, Ephesians chapter 2. Look at what he says here. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Let's flip the slide. He says, for by grace you've been saved. It's not because you went to church X amount of times and God said, finally you've crossed the threshold of church attendance. Now you're part of my kingdom. It's not because you put money in a plate or helped out the needy or sacrificed X amount of times or because you did enough good deeds and God said, finally you've, you've reached the number of good deeds to where it outweighs your bad and I'm going to let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. It's not about our good deeds that get us to heaven. And if it was, what if it was about our good deeds getting us to heaven? That's the biggest fallacy in all of, all of the world is that I get to God because I'm a good person. What if it was about good deeds? What if Mother Teresa was the standard, right? We're all in trouble, <laughs> I mean, if we think that, that we get to heaven because we're good enough, what, we think God's going to grade on a curve. And we're just better than most people, so he's going like, to curve our grade like our high school teacher did. We're going to somehow be able to get in. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't let us in on the basis of our goodness. There's no evidence in Scripture we get in only because of a relationship with Jesus. And when Paul describes this, he says, for by grace you have been saved. Count this, through faith. Faith is a prerequisite. It must be present, demonstrated in the person and the work on the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ himself. And if we've never come to that place where we have owned and confessed our sin and where we've believed in our minds and in our hearts that Jesus is God, that he died, that he rose, and ultimately surrendered faith as a response, it is an action word, and then ultimately trusted him and surrendered ourselves to him. If we've not done that, we do not know God, no matter how good of a life we may have or we may live. Faith is a prerequisite. We will not know God without it. What a tragedy it will be for countless people who stand before God one day and they thought their tithe and their offerings could buy them a spot in heaven. How tragic it's going to be when good people stand before God one day only to find that their good deeds were not good enough to earn them a spot in heaven. What an awesome day it'll be when people like us who have a list of sin a mile long stand before God one day <laughs> and he says, righteous. Enter in, my good and faithful servant. All because of the person of Jesus and our faith in him. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you can do that today. Right where you sit, Lord Jesus, I need you. I believe in you. 
Mr. God, you died, you rose. And today, I confess my sin and invite you to forgive me. And take over and he'll do it. Faith is a prerequisite to knowing God, but there's a second thing that faith is a prerequisite for. We find also in Scripture, faith is also a prerequisite. It has to be present in order for us to, secondly, please God. Without faith, we will not please God. We find that in Scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. This chapter in Hebrews 11 is called the Faith Hall of Fame. It's not called that in the Bible. Uh, believers through, through the years have termed it this because of the numbers of people who walk by faith there, Hebrews chapter 11. What we're looking at is that without faith, we will not please God. It is a prerequisite for pleasing God. So let's just do an exercise here while, um, while you're turning there. So if I were to make the comment to you that it, without oxygen, it is impossible to breathe. All right, so that's my statement. Without oxygen, it is impossible to to breathe. What would you then ascertain? What would you determine is true from that statement? Without oxygen, it is impossible to breathe. What you would determine then is that, well, oxygen must be one of the necessities of life because without it, it is impossible to breathe. That's pretty good. I'm trusting that you figured all that out. What if I said that without a boat, it is impossible to cross the Atlantic by sea? I had to say by sea because some of you are already out there, Mr. Smarty person, like, oh, well, I can fly across the Atlantic. So, so without, you know who you are. So without a boat, it is impossible to cross the Atlantic by sea. What would you, what would you uh, assume then? What would you ascertain from that statement? Well, a boat must be a necessity for sea travel. You got to have a boat to travel by sea, right, across the ocean. It's an absolute non-negotiable. It is a necessity. Look at what it says here in Hebrews chapter 11. This is a shocking statement if we only could read it somehow for the first time. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Oh, but wait a minute, God, I stand up here and I preach on a weekly basis and I put together messages and I come and try to proclaim them and teach people from your word. Great, Brooks, but if you don't have faith, I'm not pleased. That's not enough. Oh, but God, wait a minute. Don't you know how much I do in your name? Don't you know, God, how many people I help, you may be thinking. Don't you know that the countless sacrifices I make to try to walk as a, as, a, as a believer in this world, God says, great, but if you don't have faith, you are not pleasing me. That, that is exactly what that statement means. It is a shocking, cage-rattling statement that without the presence of genuine faith, that is a response to what God has already said, that if we don't have that present in our life, it is a, we are not going to please him. Doesn't matter how great we preach, doesn't matter how great we sing, doesn't matter how many Bible study classes we lead, doesn't matter how many good deeds we perform, if we do not have faith, he says it plain and clear right here, we are not going to be able to please him. We have to walk by faith. It's a, it's a non-negotiable. It's part of the nuts and bolts of the Christian life. And again, if you look through the rest of Hebrews chapter 11, You've got it there open in front of you. We won't read all these verses, but you'll notice there, uh, look at verse 7, the very, the very next verse. By faith, Noah. What was Noah? What did Noah do that helped him to walk by faith? Like I said earlier, he stepped out and he followed, he, he, uh, he obeyed what God told him to do. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham. 
What did Abraham do? Well, he responded in faith to what God did. God called him and he obeyed going out to a place that he didn't even know where he was going to end up. But by faith, he responded and he trusted and he followed where God led him. It was a response. It was an action that Abraham ultimately took. You read through all of that passage of scripture. By faith, Sarah in verse 11, all the way down to verse 27, Moses, it talks about how he walked by faith. All the way throughout that passage, you see people who didn't just say, oh, Oh, I'm having I'm having faith. I'm just believing. No, they responded to what God had showed them to do and they stepped out in faith. And where the rubber hit the road, sometimes into the great unknown, sometimes having no safety net whatsoever, they just stepped and followed by faith to whatever it was that God showed them to do. So faith is a response. It's not stationary, it's active. Faith always partners with what God has shown us in His Word. It partners with the promises of God. It partners with the direction of God. Faith is a, it's a prerequisite for knowing God. We're not going to know God without faith in His Son, Jesus. Faith that demonstrates itself through trust in what He's done on the cross and surrender. Faith is a prerequisite for pleasing God. It, it's when we step out in faith in even the smallest of places. There may be the need to forgive, extend forgiveness to someone and everything in you says, you know what, I don't want to forgive and I don't like that person and they hurt me deeply and I want to make them pay and I want to hold a grudge for the rest of my life. But then one day we're reading scripture and the scriptures jump off the page and they tell you to extend forgiveness and to forgive just as Christ has forgiven you and everything in you wants to revolt against that. But you know that this is the direction of God. This is God's truth. This is God's word. And by faith you say, Lord, the best that I can today, I choose to forgive this one who's hurt me. And I pray and surrender that you would change my heart, that I would forgive completely. It's a step of faith. And the examples are endless of how God brings us to those crossroads at times. It may be financial. It may be relational. It may be in your marriage. It may be in some other area of your life. But it's a crossroads where we come to, often by God's design, and it's right there, sometimes in the place of desperation, sometimes in the daily grind where we have to decide, I'm going to walk by faith and trust a God who's made so many promises to me. A couple in our church gave me a book a few weeks ago, and um, they gave it to me just as a, as a gift, as an encouragement to me. And I, and I began to read through it, and uh, I finished it. I, mean, I con- consumed it. And um, it, it was a book about the lead singer of the band Audio Adrenaline. Uh, his name's Mark Stewart. Any of you familiar with Audio Adrenaline back in the day, right? Uh, any of you want to dance real quick in the way you did at some of their concerts 20 years ago? So Mark Stewart was, um, he was the lead singer of Audio Adrenaline, and uh, the band started from nothing, kind of the old typical story, you know, just kind of in a, in a garage seemingly, you know, and uh, they were college students, and and uh, scratch, just scratched and clawed and tried to get a platform, and uh, God would begin to open little doors along the way to the point to where after a 20-year career, um, Mark Stewart with Audio Adrenaline uh, found a platform that had been an international platform, and they would sing all over the world and just sold out tour dates all over the country, and they would be the headliner. I mean, others would open for them, and just huge opportunities to impact people with the message of the gospel through the music that they played. They were just kind of the old throwback 80s, 90s rock and roll Christian band, right? With uh, just huge, huge followings. Well, through his career, Mark Stewart began to develop 
voice problems, and it would ultimately come to the point to where this guy who played and packed out arenas all over the world would have to take his fingers to hold them to his throat so that he could even speak audibly. Long story short, he ultimately would lose his ability to sing at that level, and a 20-year career of being able to see God change lives through his ministry suddenly dissipated into thin air. He tells a story of a person who felt compelled to pray for him, and uh, they were on a plane, and this person began to pray for him, and uh, long story short, God chose not to answer that prayer, and he wasn't healed, and absolutely nothing changed. Everything was over. He lost his literal physical voice. For a season, felt like he had probably lost his, his effective ministry voice at the same time as well. He made a couple of quotes in this book that I want to share with you this morning as we begin to close. The first you'll find here, he's talking about uh, reflecting kind of that simple faith in Christ. Look at what he says here, this first quote. He says, what I know is that all forms of rock and roll are built on rebellion, and there's no bigger rebel than Jesus. He went against all norms of politics, religious institutions, to lay claim to the most radical idea in all of human history that every single person on this earth is worthy of God's love. And then Jesus died on a cross and he rose again to prove that they were. Why would he do this? Because without the presence of faith, it's impossible to know God. And as an act of his will, Jesus, God in the flesh, came and died and rose so that through our own faith in him, we can have a relationship, a genuine relationship with the God who made us. He goes on to talk about having lost his literal physical voice. Look at what he says. He says, there are three idols that drive us. For every single one of us, there are one of three idols typically that we have to do business with in life. Comfort, control, and approval. When left to our own devices, the decisions we make in our lives reflect our need for one or more of those idols. Speaking of himself, he says, my focus on my voice reflected all three. When you pray for healing and don't get it, it doesn't mean that God isn't working on what you asked him to. It means that he's working on what he wants to. And that is something bigger and more beautiful than we know to pray for. The miracle wasn't that God was going to fix my voice. The miracle was that God was going to use me with a busted one. And that, my friend, is faith. That when we've lost all control, when we are no longer operating in our comfort zone, and when the approval of man doesn't seem to matter much anymore, that there's a God who knows us and loves us, who has a plan for us, and those plans are bigger than anything we could ever dream of or even imagine. But there are going to be countless circumstances and crossroads in our lives where we have to decide at this crossroads, am I going to trust him enough to actually follow where he's leading? And that may play out differently for every one of us in this room. But I guarantee you, your life and my life will be a summation of the times that we trusted him enough to follow. And if our life ends up being God-sized, that accomplishes the God-sized uh, uh, work in this world that he wants to do, it's going to be because we trusted him enough to go there with him. And so where do you need to trust him today? Where do you need to demonstrate genuine faith? 
Not that you work it up from within, hoping God's going to follow suit and do whatever you ask Him to. But where do you need to demonstrate faith in response to where God's already led you? And say, God, I believe and I follow. And if you need Him today to save you and take over, He'll do that too. If you believe in the name of the, of the Lord Jesus, invite Him to forgive and take over. Let's pray. Lord, if we choose not to walk by faith, it won't be because you didn't give us enough examples. <laughs> Lord, all through the Old Testament and New Testament, there are people, men and women both, Lord, that are listed that demonstrate for us what faith looks like and how you respond. And it doesn't mean you have a grand stage for every one of us. And it doesn't mean that we'll impact millions and millions of people. Lord, there are stages like that for certain people. Sometimes, God, it's just simply the faith that we demonstrate in the daily grind that it was we trust you in the details of life. Sometimes that's what people need to see the most, that our lives are different because we trust you in virtually everything and we follow wherever you lead us to go. Lord, sometimes that faith needs to be applied in our marriages, in our parenting, in our families. Sometimes it needs to be applied in how we handle our finances and what we value. Sometimes it needs to be applied to how we spend our time. And sometimes it needs to be applied in what we step out into. But God, where you lead us, you'll always provide for us. And Lord, when you call us to step out into faith, it's never blind. It's always in response to your lead. And where you lead, God, you always go with us. And so Lord, whether it's the believer that's been saved for all these years, that stands at a crossroads today, remind them that faith is part of the nuts and bolts of an effective Christian life. Or if it's that person sitting here this morning who finally heard the message of the gospel and it made sense, and today is the day when you invite them into a relationship with you. God, give them the courage to admit their sin and to invite Jesus who died and rose to pay for it, to forgive and to come in and to save and to be Lord and Savior of their life. So God, may we follow where you lead today. May we as a church be always willing to step out and to follow where you lead us collectively. And Lord, in all of it, may you get glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.